Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero. Thanks for listening to The Tour Coach. These are the players, coaches, experts, stories, and insights from my work on the PGA Tour at my retreats or my downtown teaching center in Mobile, Alabama. My goal is to shed light and share insights from the people who I've gotten to know and meet working on the PGA Tour and teach it through my career. And I hope this helps all of us play, coach, and teach better golf. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and take a look at our new Dew Sweepers YouTube channel or the Dew Sweeper on Instagram, where I've taken some time to share videos of help from my teachings, travels, and journeys. Sitting in with me here, not very often I get to sit down with, in my industry, what would be one of the icons in instruction, one of the legends instruction. He's super easy to talk to, one of the great teachers in the game, Rick Smith. Rick, how you doing, buddy? I appreciate, first of all, you sitting in, and uh, also I'm looking forward to I know we got some cool stuff going on, and we're going to be spending some more time together and teaching a little bit in South Florida. So thanks for sitting in with me. No, Tony, it's fantastic. I appreciate it. It's always good talking talking about golf and swing and, and just what's happened the last 40 years. And, and, you know, you're doing great too, buddy. You're you're teaching you making these juniors into great players and and i love that i think it's fantastic what you've done for the game as well well i appreciate that and you know teaching these young players and teaching the tour players and stuff you know it wouldn't be what it is today i always tell folks without those that have come before us i mean when you started going out there and teaching tour players there wasn't what it is now like when you and i ran into each other at Wyndham. there's 15 other teachers in that tent <laughs> you know that's right i know when you started going out there there was probably three or four i remember showing up with him you know i rocco and i still laugh today i mean i worked with rocco for almost 40 years now and uh that's a long time <laughs> that's a that long time you, make you feel old oh it does oh i'm starting to feel that yeah I, my part of the humor of all that is I remember going back to Pittsburgh because I, you know, I've been in Michigan for a lot, a lot of my life, but I grew up right. in Pittsburgh, and so I go back to, you know, watch a football game or go to a baseball game. I remember we had some kind of a corporate event in Pittsburgh, and I went and I said, "Where's Three Rivers Stadium? It's brand new." And they said, "Rick, they tore that down." <laughs> and that's when I knew I it really the light went on, and I said, "Oh, okay, I get it, I get it." That's that they built a new one already, and I thought it was still reasonably do. So, yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, back on the tee, I remember, you know, Led was there and Butch was there and, and you know, occasionally I'd, I'd see Jim or uh, or I'd see, uh, you know, I remember Bob Toski was my old buddy back when I played a lot. And he, he was not there very often, in fact, very rarely, but he was so busy teaching people would just fly in and see him. So yeah. I always loved Bob, you know. One of the cool things about Bob I always thought was, which I think, you know, not hammering new age teaching, but is Bob was a great player and really understood and could play the game. And I think there's parts of us that have gotten away from that where really understanding how to play the game as well as teaching. Well, that's been one of my priorities. I remember back into the business uh, when I started, I was at Toledo Country Club and Don Kotnick, I you know, I'd go play the winter tours, and then I remember going to Scioto Country Club, and it was all about playing and teaching. So he wanted guys that loved to play, and I loved to play. And, and uh, I remember playing the U.S. Open and qualified and <clears throat> went from Scioto right off the teaching tee right to Oakmont, and the rough was about two feet long. But, you know, it was it was always important because you the aspect of 
of what we're trying to teach, in essence, is really to shoot lower scores, right? And so how are you going to relate to, I, you know, heck, we've all choked. We've hit, hit, uh, we know what it feels like, I think, to, to be in position to win something and having to make a pot or whatever it is and, and the energy and, and also, you know, swing and, and the tendencies under pressure and the adrenaline and, and what happens and how we, we can then try to transfer that over to our students you know, isn't that what we're trying to do? We're trying to teach them to shoot lower scores, period. You know, and how are we going to do that? They got to do many things right, you know, to to do that. Yeah, I think in some aspects, though, our industry's gotten a little bit away from that understanding that it, I mean, we're really not just trying to get people to hit it further, make their swings look better. It's about shooting lower scores. I think ultimately is why most people come to us. Well, and, you know, they should be looking, I think, at that exact thing, it's like, look, I'm, I'm not. You, when you start, you start talking to a student about what their tendencies are and where their weaknesses are. So a lot of times, they don't even know what their weaknesses are. You know, they'll say, "Well, I don't hit my two iron good or something." It's like, wait a minute, and the guy didn't even hit a good wedge. So it's always interesting to kind of talk to them, but then really actually put them through kind of a, a test and run them through their clubs, and and obviously you can identify pretty quickly what the problem is. And then the whole goal is trying to get them and fix them up so that they can go take that to the golf course and trust it, you know? And I think you know that as well as anyone. I mean, trust is, is, is such a huge factor, especially with these guys that are, you know, playing in the playoffs today, uh, you know, on the corn ferry. I mean, some of these guys are playing for their life, yeah. you know, and you yeah. talk about pressure, you're not going to find any more pressure than, than today, you know? with these guys. Yeah, there's such a fine line nowadays between having good status and the ability to make a lot of money, provide for your family, and having zero status and having to hope you get some opportunities to get back. I mean, it can change in a blink of an eye for these young guys or for some of the guys that have bounced back and forth. And I've got some of those guys that always seem to be in the where they're you know, not fringe, but they, they get on and then they go off. And, and that, that it, it seems like more than ever, the line that differentiates between the best and those guys that bounce back and forth gets fuzzier and fuzzier, and it's, it's harder to diff- – it, it can happen to all of them. Well, there's so many good players. You know, I just left. I, was, I saw you at Wyndham. I was in Columbus, you know, for that event, and then all of a sudden, you know, here I am. I'm in, you know. Uh, Evansville, Indiana at Victoria National, which is a very difficult golf course. I mean, right. and uh, these guys to have to play this course, you know, with all the heat on, it's it's probably one of the tougher tests that they see all year. And uh-huh. and you're right, there's so many good players that don't have the opportunity to make it. For example, I had one young guy I, I work with, and uh, his name is Cole Adams. He's actually from Indiana. A lot of talent. And, you know, he's down at a pre-qualifier, and he has two rounds. And we were at Brunswick Country Club, kind of a cool Ross golf yeah. course with the original greens there. I love, love the greens. And, uh, you know, he has one bad nine. And, and, and if he would have made the pre-qualifier, which he counted on in his mind, he's got to go to three more qualifiers before he's even in, in the final. You know, it's like right. weeding out and, and the numbers and numbers of players that are good with nowhere to play. You know, and I'm I'm always saying, what other tours can these? I hate when these guys don't have a place to play and they don't have the chance to compete. Because how are you going to get better unless you you've got that experience? And so 
I know they're trying ATP tours. They're trying in Texas, I guess, and there's Latin American, and we get that down at Doral. You know, with Latin America, right. they've got a huge following down there because they come in and they practice and they get ready for the Latin American tour. So I know it's a good one, but they're talking about maybe not doing that, you know. So the Canadian tour is great. You know, I mean, Tyler McCumber, I, when I started working with him right before he went to the Canadian tour, I mean, that launched him really quickly to get on tour, and, and he's stayed on tour, which I'm really happy about. But, you know, if you don't play great, you're gone. It's that simple. You know, you're gone. Through your career, obviously spanned decades, so much success, so much of it. You've had some of the great players in the game, helped watch coach some of the great players in the game. I always talk to Rick about the fact that I think some of my best learning experiences and opportunities have been from the great players I've been around. What are some of yeah. the best things you've learned from the great players you've been around? Well, one of the great experiences in the very beginning, you know, obviously I had Lee Jansen since, since he was 15 years old, and and I had Rocco, and I had, you know, uh, Billy Andrade, and, and that's those were my beginning guys, you know, and what was so cool is I was working with Gary Nicholas, and Gary, I remember the one day, I he goes, hey, meet me at the house, and, and Jack answers the door, and, you know, mouth is open, and I go, wow, it's so great to see you and meet you, and he goes, hey, I, I appreciate you working with Gary. Do you have time for me? And and I said, you know, it's, it's funny, as the young teacher, I remember, this is like 1992, I think it yeah. was. And it's like, no, I I gotta go do the laundry or something. You know, it's like it was kinda like, No, hey, I, I've been looking at his golf swing my entire life and I studied every decade of of his swings because I always wanted to understand it. But he go, and then after we worked, he you know, and I, I said, All right, Rick, let your eyes it's you don't care who you're teaching right now in your brain. You know, you're going, I'm looking at what I'm looking at. I'm watching the golf club. I'm looking at the face, I'm looking at his body motion, and I'm I'm looking, and he was picking it up. He lost his width, he lost his, he was across the line too early, and uh, was kind of flipping it. And I said, Jack, that's not you at all. And I said, let's study some swings. And I'll never forget just spending almost, almost 10 to 12 years, and still, you know, when I go to, when I'm not at Doral, I'm over at Bears Club, and, and uh, Jack and the whole family, I teach the whole family and the grandkids, and it's really fun, and I love him, and he's uh, he's done so much for the game. But I'll never forget having my guys, like at Muirfield, I'd say, you know, we're going to go out and play, and, and he'd say, hey, bring a couple of your guys. And so here was Lee and Rocco, and here Lee wins the Open, U.S. Open the next year. And he yeah. told me the influence of Jack, and while I was working with Jack and, and seeing this, this young kid just, Blossom when Jack goes great shot right there. That was a you know super shot, and it's like, hey, that's the greatest play in the world. Is telling me I hit it good. So not only was it just his presence, but you know his strategies. What I learned from him was obviously I loved to you know, work the ball. Like he loved working it just dead straight, dropping right, and so okay. eliminating left. You know was one of the great lessons to release it hard and never hit it left. What a goal that is under the pressure. Especially, you know, you stand at TPC on 18 and in Jacksonville, or you're standing at the Blue Monster on eight, on the last hole, and you you better hit it hard, and you better not bail out, and right. you better hit it on line, knowing it's not going left. And it's I, ever since talking to him about that, you know, that was 
you know, amazing stuff. And just in putting, you know, no, no one. Think about this. And I, it's blown me away, actually. I, I, that his putting style, nobody does it. And I'm going, here's right. one of the best putters in the world, and no one does it. Why? And, you know, they're not into their putts. They're not like Jack used to get into his putt like no other person. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, and he'd talk about just putting his lead arm on, and he'd take his left hand, and then he'd put it up into the, into the palm of his hand more, and, and then he'd just use his right arm like a piston. And it, and it came across as, as, you know, in his mind, as, you know, he'd just strike it. And he, his face was so square to his path. And, you know, he didn't have any fancy putting get, devices. You know, he just, he started it online and he hit it where he wanted to hit it. And that's when he knew he was rolling it good and uh, made everything. And no one putts like that. Isn't that funny? You could say the same thing with his golf swing. I mean, arguably the greatest player of all time. And, I mean, not a lot of people teach the stuff that he did. Do you know what's bizarre, though? When you look at his swing in the late 60s, his width and his body motion and the way he his heel would raise, and then as you look at it, how it evolved, he lost his width, and he started getting more reversed. And when you look, you know, almost reverse seed, you saw that later when he played bad. But when he played great, his right arm was long and across the chest. It wasn't down the line. But his width was huge, and he didn't. And that width that he had on the forward swing carried his body motion into his left side, and he never looked backwards, you know? And it's like, wow, did that ever change? And I asked him, I said, when's the best you ever played it? It was late 60s, early 70s. I mean, he swung the club so good. He had so many different variations of what we are teaching today. In right. terms of width and body motion and heel up and ground force and, you know, letting the left foot work back down and post up. And his left leg was firm and solid and as he rotated and knocked the living daylights out of it, right? And and all of a sudden that swing changed. So a lot of the younger guys that saw Jack, you know, in the 80s and 90s, and they're going, well, that swing, you know, he doesn't have the width. He's very, very vertical. He's very... You know, reversed, and he's sing- he's swinging on the most vertical plane they've ever seen. And it's like study his late sixties, and you won't see that. You know, so it, right. it's pretty cool, actually. And great stuff for all of us to learn from. Tell me some other stories from the great players you've been around. It's funny, I you know through that process. Once I was with Lee and Rocco, Billy, and then Jack, and then it was like I worked with so many players, and obviously they felt like. If Jack's talking to me, they're going to trust me. And at that time, that was uh, mid-90s, you know, uh, really busy with those guys. And, you know, there were all kinds of players that used to work. I worked with VJ for hours and hours. As you know, he just would beat balls. But he was very much on the inside, and he laid it off too much on the way down. And, and, And so we worked on keeping the shaft out in front and did bottle drills and fade drills and exercises that really helped him to get things going. But, you know, it's interesting, as you're saying, learning, listening, course management stuff was huge. And, uh, and again, I keep going back to Jack for that. I mean, no one managed a golf course better. He was one of the first guys to have a yardage book, you know, and he'd made his own yardage book. And, um, and so his management was, was amazing, you know, where he wouldn't, you know, you'd think, you'd think now his length was so much, so dominant that, he could attack par fives like guys couldn't, you know, 
in in the earlier days. But just to hear him talk about you know pressure and and I'll never forget this. I was standing with Jack. This is uh, we were at PGA National, if I recall, and they were playing a seniors event there. And I go, Jack, you know, I have a question for you. I go, why are you still doing this? You don't have to do this. And he goes, Rick, I, I love. And this is what I've taught all my young guys from Jack. I said, he goes, I love being in the heat. I love feeling nervous. I love having a chance to win with nine holes to go. And that's all I try to do is put myself in position to win. And he goes, I can't win on the first day. I try to build up through the week. He goes, I may not even be hitting it good on Monday, but by the time I get to Thursday, I'm, I'm usually prepared. And then I love to be in the heat. So I've tried to tell all my guys that I've ever had, I go, here's the greatest player in the world that loves feeling nervous, wants to be in this position, and thrives on it. And I go, if you don't thrive on it, don't do it. What are you doing this for? Why are you playing this game? And that's part of the problem. There's so much money that's out there that, you know, you can. And Kevin Kisser said, he goes, I can finish 25th and make a ton of money. And right. Back then, you couldn't. Yeah, it wasn't enough to get gas in your car to drive to the next event. You know, so exactly. I I think the mindset is there is so much money, and there are so many great players, and I think it does take away, except for those that make a ton now, the Rory McIlroys of the world, and the guys that really want to win because they've got all the money in the world. They don't care. They don't really care yeah. about the money. They just they want that feeling, and those guys that is a commonality with all those guys. You know, Xander. Is trying to learn to win more, you know, when he's under the gun. Tony Finau, it was great to see him win. You know, look how long it took him when you look at his yeah. talent. But if you don't love it and you don't love being in it, then you can better figure out something else to do. It's that simple, you know. And nope. No question about it. Yeah. So I think that was one of the coolest things mindset-wise that would really, it's like when you're feeling nervous, you know, and Adam Svensson, this is a young player, great player. He's just won last week in Columbus. I've tried to work with him, you know, a lot of the year. He sends me videos and we talk. I had him come out to Bears Club and Gary Player was there. And, and Gary was talking about, you know, wanting that same thing and the will and the want. And and that seems to be that common thread of working hard and and knowing that you're preparing. And that's all you can do. You, you've got to work hard on the right stuff. And if you've prepared, like Phil Mickelson, I worked with him for 12 years. And bottom line is, is like Phil would, Phil was the best, obviously, in short game. And a lot of people don't understand actually what he does technically. And we can talk about that in a minute, but with his short game. But one of the things that Phil would always love is preparing. And when he learned to prepare better, is when he'd go to the tournament, and even if he wasn't quite there, he would always work himself into, into contention. And, you know, God, back then he was winning two times a year, and that was Easy. just an okay year, you know, I mean, back then. Right. But, and Phil's, Phil's knew that we had to beat one guy in his mind. He knew he'd Tiger. It's like you look at Tiger. He was so dominant then. And I'll never forget those years in that decade that was in the night, late, you know, mid, mid to late nineties and then early two thousands. And those years were just like, you know, Tiger was unbeatable. And, and when we did beat him, it was, you know, it felt great because he was the oh, yeah. best player, you know, by far. One of the great qualities of Phil to me is, and that I try to impress this upon young players is that like Phil can miss eight cuts in a row not finish above 50th, 
and then win the next week because he feels like he at any moment he can be Phil and do it. And so yeah. many of these guys, like if they play bad two, three weeks, they're, they react and they panic and they start wanting to change things. And I mean, I think that's an overlooked quality of Phil. Like, and you know what else? I'll never forget this. This was, we were at the Masters and, you know, very fortunate to be with him for two wins yeah. at the Masters. And it was uh, 04, which was his first one. And then 06 was his second one. And, and then he won the, you know, Baltus in between the PGA, but in 05. So once it was like he learned to win majors, which was preparation was huge. And we were posting up against the forward leg beautifully because he'd get saggy and reverse mm-hmm. and flip and, so we worked on that, and he started hitting a hard cut when he wanted because he couldn't cut it very well because he was in the back seat, you know, with his upper body too much. And he started feeling on top and rotating more level, and these were his feels that he had. But I'll never forget one year, and I'm trying to remember the year it was, he shoots like 75, and they he hits three fairways. He hits like six greens. And the announcer comes up, and I'm listening to this, this interview. He goes, uh, so, you know, you're obviously in danger of, of missing the cut. And, you know, what are you going to do? And he goes, you know, actually, I, I'm not that far off. And he says, actually, if I shoot 68 tomorrow, I'm right back in it. And and he goes, I, I, I probably, you know, will I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Well, most guys, as you know, yeah. are already oh. booking their flight, right? Yeah. And he's Panic saying this. Yeah, what's he do? He shoots 67, not 68. He goes, I'm close. After hitting three fairways and six greens or whatever it was, shooting 75, he's in the last group the last day, and we lost. But I'll never forget the comment. That's Phil. I'm close. I know I'm close. You know, that kind of stuff. And then when he was on the tee and practicing, and we'd be working on something, and let's say it was during the tournament even, he goes, I got it. He goes, I got it. And I'd say, yeah. you got it? And he goes, yeah, I got it. And bam, he goes out, doesn't miss a shot. And then he goes out and shoots nothing. And, and it's like, when Phil says, I got it, he, he's got he's it. He's got it. <laughs> yeah. He's got it. And and I think, guys, you know, honestly, like you said, I, I think this, there's some people that, I think in teaching, as you know, I the one lesson that, that I look back the last four decades the one common thing is, is, you know, there, there's timing in teaching. There's a time to teach. There's a time to coach. There's a time to be a friend, right? And there's a time to shut up and not say a word and just sit there yeah. and let the guy process. And if you're a player and if you're listening and you're, you're a teacher and you're a player, you know, you don't want your mind full of a, a bunch of words and you don't, you may starting, you may get a feel as a player and you got to let him process it and let them, you know, shut up, you know, don't say anything. And I think a lot of times people are always trying to change something and the player is trying to get a sense for setup and, and, and what they're feeling and their movements and, and that where the club is and what kind of shot they're trying to hit. And you got to let them do that. And I think teachers sometimes, and I, you know, I've got some wonderful teachers at Doral, you know, we talk all the time about it. It's like, all right, let's let's create a process and let's go through the process and let's not run through it and change it 50 times. You know, one thing is to modify your plan to get to, you know, where the guy's so confused. It doesn't help any player. 
And that's the one thing that I have, have learned, you know, I think over all those years is when to say something, when not to say something, when, mm-hmm. when to, you know, be a friend, when, when to be no, the friend of, you know, you're just there listening and, or you're, you know, when you're teaching and then when you shouldn't be teaching, you know, and I think that's just the player instinct that I think that fortunately I had my whole life, you know, when I was young yeah. and, and I still love it. You know, I love to go out and hit shots and hit cuts and, you know, punch shots and, you know, just have some fun kind of messing around with different swings. Sometimes I do it and it's like, yeah, yeah. I've always had different swings like Rory Sabatini and Brendan Steele, all these guys I've worked with, you know, for a long time, they all had their own swing. And the goal was, you know, I built Steely's swing around his grip. He was 14 degrees from the inside when we started working. And now he can hit a cut. He's two left, you know, when he's hitting a cut. And yeah. that grip is amazing. And I'll never forget working with Zinger time to time. And we'd be out there on tour years ago and just talking to him and just watching him hit balls. And here was a grip. And I always grab Zinger now. And I go, Zinger, come here. This grip is stronger than yours. And he'd look at it. He goes, <laughs> Hey, grip's not a fundamental, is it, Rick? I said, nope, it really isn't. I said, we can build anything around a grip. So, yeah. And Steely was a great example. He's a super ball striker from there, and a lot of people would not even allow that grip to exist. But Steely wouldn't be out there if he did change his grip. So, you know, i.e. the – I call them compatible variations. You look at Dustin Johnson, you look at Rom, you look at – you know, where Fowler was a long time ago when he came out and shooting 60 almost every time he played. Everybody's so different, and I, I love that. It's never changed, and, in fact, it's gotten even more so. But look yeah. at Webb Simpson. Club's wide open at the top, and then you got Marikawa's dead shot. So yeah, love it, though. Don't you love it? It's kind of the art of teaching and the art of the game that I love, you know. And in the end, oh. how consistent you're going to be. See, that's a great last question. Do you think that we're getting further away from the art of teaching? I love the art of teaching. And you and I have talked off of the air of this, and we both use a bunch of technology. And and the things you just said were the highlight of my talks with you about, I think some of my best jobs as coaches may have been when I've just been a good friend and a listener, right? Yeah. And because I think that's incredibly important, knowing when to shut up. But do you think that – with all of this stuff we got going on out there, social media and all the science, are we getting further away? Like, are the people that are coming up doing what we're doing, are they less artists than they used I think, to be? I think they really need to understand, as you know, what's going to happen when you make a modification. What's going to happen next? What's going to be the tendency that they're going to get into? What's going to be their pitfall? There's always a pitfall to something, right? Or so back to yeah. compatible variations, it's like, the guy that's shut, but he still rotates his club face or his body doesn't rotate well, or he doesn't have the ability to rotate well with his body. So what's he doing? He doesn't have the strength to rotate his body. So what do we do? Maybe we get him more open. Maybe we feel a little bit more Ernie L's forearm rotation. You know, it's like that's the creative side that I think we can never lose track of because if we do kind of set models and, yeah, we can always talk about a model, but what the heck? I mean, there's commonalities and fundamentals, yeah. but in the end, it's really, truly, what did they do best? You know, it's, it, Palmer said it, you know, swing your swing. It's like, let's figure out what makes you work. And mm-hmm. more importantly, what makes you, I was telling, telling Adam Spencer the other day, I, don't know, they were, I said, you worked hard in 
working on this other stuff and it didn't work. But I said, write that down because you don't want to ever use it again. You know, it doesn't work. So as you're searching to find the right things for your swing, recognize what your tendencies are and then work on those things. Because honestly, as you know, I mean, Lee Jansen used to slide too much and hang back and flip too much. That was his tendency, right? And he'd hook and he'd block and the hook would create a bigger block. And so we would work against those things. And honestly, 25 years later, it'd be the same thing. It's like, it's your tendency. And so if you start to... Yeah, exactly. Everybody's got their own gig. Everybody's got their own tendency. And as a teacher, as you know, if we do a better job listening, watching them hit certain shots, finding out what they can't do, but also recognizing really what is golf, back to what we talked about, it's patterns. It's like, why was Litsky never practicing? Because he had a pattern. He didn't want to. He didn't want to try to hook it. He would just get up and hit that hard cut, reach for the ball, get a little shut, get a little over, and he'd just hit this beautiful rip and cut all day. And that was a great example of finding a pattern that works, you know? And that's what we should be teaching. What pattern is better for this player, you know? And let's find that because, as you know, you're standing on hard holes, and you better know where that miss is going to go. 100%. Rick, this was awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to share the stories. I look forward to doing more and more of this with you over a beverage or two and some dinner. We'll have some fun doing that. And thanks for taking the time and and looking forward to it. Buddy, I am too. You know, you could talk, we could talk forever on so many stories. And it's funny when you ask me, it's like, I'll probably be, you know, walking out today and I'm going to go, oh, I forgot about that one. I forgot about that one. There's a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, it's great. I appreciate it. I know you're going to play some golf this afternoon. Have some fun. And uh, thanks for all you do for all of us teachers and for the game. And and, uh, lots of more good stuff coming from you. And I'm excited to have the opportunity. Some of the stuff we're going to do at Drought. No, thank you, buddy. I can't wait to see you down there. And and, uh, it'll be really fun. You know, we'll probably have lots of conversations. We'll be looking at some swings and enjoying that. I, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing fantastic. Doing I appreciate great. it, buddy. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Tour Coach. I want to take a minute and thank Cordy Walker and Golf Science Lab, as well as my sponsors, Shrikshan, Buick, Bushnell, and Vineyard Vines for helping make all of this possible and helping me share my insights with you. If you like what you've heard, why don't you check out more on the Dew Sweepers channel on YouTube as well as the Dew Sweeper on Instagram or go to dewsweepersgolf.com to find out more about my teaching, my travels, and where you can find out more about me.